pray with me. Father, we're helpless without you. God, we can't do anything without you. We wouldn't even want to try. And so we ask you to come and fill us with your grace and speak to us. Be our teacher this morning. And help me to say what's on your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my talk this morning is Making Disciples Who Make Disciples. And I'm going to give you a little historical perspective and then bring it up to date. But the vision that we have had for 45 years is to make disciples who make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? It was our Lord Jesus Christ himself who commanded all of us, every man, woman, boy, and girl, to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Making a disciple means In his context, in his day, it meant turn a Jewish person into a Christian. Turn a Roman uh, idol worshiper into a Christian. Turn a Greek philosopher into a Christian. In other words, make the people of the world Christians. Help them to become believers through repentance and faith. Make a follower, make a disciple, make a learner. In our context, in our world today, it means turn Hindus into Christians, turn Muslims into Christians, turn Buddhists into Christians, make disciples of all the nations. This is the mandate. And when Jesus gave this command, it was on that holy mountain where he had told before he died, he said, after I've risen, I'll meet you on the mountain. And you can be sure that that's where the 500, more than 500 believers gathered to see the risen Christ because it was the only pre-announced place and time that he would appear after he'd risen from the dead. He appeared many times in many places, but this is the one place on that mountain where Jesus had said, I will meet you on that mountain in Galilee. And so you can be sure the Christians were gossiping and saying, he's risen and we're going to get to see him again. Come on, let's run to the mountain. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6, that's where Paul said more than 500 brethren saw him at one time. And so it was there looking into their faces as they stood and, and saw him in awe and wonder, this risen Lord Jesus Christ, and he gives one command to them, and that was this, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, because he didn't die just for the Jews, he died for the Romans and the Greeks and the Hindus and the Muslims and the Buddhists and the atheists, and this is the mandate until the end of time, until Jesus comes back, that we all are left here on the earth for, to fulfill this commission. So, how far has the gospel reached? After all, it's been 2,000 years, right, since Jesus died and rose again, And he gave this command. So how good of a job have we done as a Christian world? Well, I'm taking my research this morning from many different sources. And I'll give you a list of those shortly. But how far has the gospel reached? In other words, where are we now? And how far must we yet go? So you see this world map. And what we see is that every nation, every continent in blue is majority Christian. That means, if you were to ask the average man, woman, boy, and girl on the street in any one of these blue countries, hey, what religion are you? They would say, oh, I'm Christian. Now, we know that doesn't mean necessarily that they're born again Christian or they're evangelical, but they view themselves as Christian, and that means they know something, maybe not a lot, but they know something about Jesus Christ. 
And they're proud to identify themselves with Jesus Christ. And so we can thank the Lord. The gospel has spread a long, long ways. Now, the green part of the world is the most troubled part of the world. That is, majority of people in those nations are Muslim. And in those countries, it's not like 60%. It's like 99.9% Muslim in most cases. They spread their gospel by the power of the sword. They give you a choice, convert or die. And it's really tough over there. And you know they're exterminating Christians. And you've read the news, so I won't go into much more on that right now. But there's a huge swath of the world is Muslim. And much of that used to be Christian. Much of North Africa, much of Asia used to be. Much of Middle East used to be Christian. And we have to recover those places. And we can. And God is doing it by backing up his word, giving Muslims visions of Jesus in the night. I've talked to many Muslim converts. And I said, why did you come to Christ? He said, Jesus came to me in the night, in my dream, in my vision. And so God is helping us spread the gospel among the Muslims. But there's a long way to go and a whole lot to do. The yellow part of the world there, as you can see, is Hindu. It looks like a small part geographically, but population-wise, it's huge. 1.3 billion people. Most have never heard the name Jesus at all. The orange part of the world is Buddhist. Most of Southeast Asia and Japan. So that's where things are at today. If you want to do your own research, go online to these sources. And they'll give you much more information than I have time for this morning. But Operation World, World Christian Encyclopedia, U.S. Center for World Mission, Joshua Project, and Global Mapping International have loads of information because they send research teams around the world asking lots of questions to find out who has heard about Jesus and who hasn't. And so the world's Christians, I'm sorry, I'm going backwards here. Every little blue dot in this map represents about 50,000 people who would say, I'm Christian. And we thank the Lord for all of those. Some of them need to understand what the true gospel is, though. And so the question comes, what percentage of those people that call themselves Christian are evangelical? Now, the word evangel means gospel. Evangelical means people who believe the gospel. Evangelistic means those who share the gospel. Three words. Evangel is gospel. Evangelical, those who believe the gospel. Evangelistic, those who share the gospel. So, but what is the gospel? Well, the Bible is very clear that a person can be saved by grace alone through faith alone. Now, the problem is the majority of those who say they're Christian don't understand this pure and simple gospel that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And they add good works to it. They add baptism to it. They add sacraments and ceremonies to it. And some of them mix Hinduism with it. And other, even in Haiti, it's voodoo mixed with Christianity. It's called syncretism. My aunt and uncle were missionaries in Haiti for 25 years. And so there's a need in all over the world to teach Christians the true gospel. And so in Europe, what percentage of those who call themselves Christian are born again or evangelical? And this chart shows it's about only 4%. That means 96% of Europeans don't understand the true gospel 
or believe the true gospel. Latin America, it's a little higher and so forth. But even Asia, still only about 44%. So there's need for people like you all over the world. People like me, people like you, to bring your gospel message, the pure Bible gospel message, to every continent and every country. And of course, Colorado has to be reached and re-reached and re-reached. Amen. It's like we're never done in any place. And so there's need for good Christians and good churches like Firehouse to keep bringing that fire to Parker and Aurora and Inglewood and every other place. I love Colorado. And uh, I love the people of Colorado. And there's huge need and huge opportunity. The devil tries to trick Christians. I was sitting with the pastor and his wife last year. And the precious lady said, you know, the problem here, it wasn't in this state, another state. She said, everybody's already heard and nobody wants to listen. Okay, that's partially true. But it's mostly not true. Because if you go out in the streets, go into the Walmart or into the parks, go on the campus, most people have not heard a pure gospel message yet. And so that's, that idea is really a lie from the devil. It's not from the Lord. Most people have not heard. Most people of Denver have not heard the pure gospel. So don't let Satan zip your lip by making you think people have already heard. They heard something, I know. But they have to hear what you have. And the other lie from Satan is that people don't want to listen. Now I know there's a few who don't want to listen. And Satan will put them in your path to close your mouth and and turn you off to evangelism. But the fact is there are a whole lot of people willing to listen in every part of the world. We just have to keep sharing and keep looking for those whom God has prepared. Right? And we find them in any city, in any town, in any village, pretty much all over the world. Okay, here's the world's Muslims. My heart breaks for them. I hope yours does too. You know, with all this terrorism and all this terrible stuff going on, we 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 can resent them. We can almost hate them, can't we? We hear about what the Baghdadi did to that girl from Prescott. And it, it, You have to remember, it's Satan. It's Satan behind them. Because God, Jesus gave his blood for them too. He will save them too. And he is saving more Muslims now than ever before. So let's not hate them. Let's save them. Okay? It can be done. It's not impossible. This is the world's Buddhists. Buddhism is shrinking. Many Buddhists are coming to Christ right now in Vietnam. Sweeping revival is going on. And you can help by praying for them. Here's the world's Hindus. Beautiful, precious souls. Jesus gave his blood for them. They never heard his name. Most of them never heard his name. Now, they've heard of Coca-Cola. They drink it if they can find 20 rupees to buy a can. They've heard of Michael Jackson. But what did Michael Jackson do for them? Okay, he sings, he sang, he danced. Did he give his blood? No. And yet the son of God who came from heaven gave his very blood. This is the blood of God, Acts chapter 20. 
And they don't even have a clue. They never heard his name. You ask an average Hindu on the street, hey, have you heard of Jesus? Have you heard of Yeshu Masih? They think, maybe he's in the next village over. They've never heard his name. We can change it. Well, so what is the growth rate of these religions? Are we going forward or backward? Well, the good news this morning is we're going forward twice as fast as Islam, three times as fast as Hinduism. And so we thank the Lord. But brothers and sisters, it's good, but it's not fast enough and we can go faster. And so I started an organization called Run Global seven, about seven years ago. R-U-N, Run, Reach the Unreached Now, not a thousand years from now. <clears throat> and it's a member ministry of the Great Commission Churches, which I helped start 45 years ago. But evangelicalism is growing the fastest, and we can still speed up. So what is the task remaining The 1040 window, 10 degrees latitude to 40 degrees latitude north of the equator. This is the deepest hole of lostness in the world. And God is moving in and through people who will go or pray or give. Well, I heard a lot of these things. Oops, what happened? I'm just going too fast. I heard these things 45 years ago. And so a dear friend of mine said, Mike, let's buy a bus. He had a little money. I had the classified ads. And so in Pueblo, Colorado, 1970, I found a bus in the newspaper, in the classified ads, for $195. Older than this bus. It was the 1951 International. It had no seats. He said, that's okay, we can sit on the floor. So my brother Jim and I went out to this auction and we saw this bus. It wouldn't start. You had to push it to start it. He said, that's okay, we can push it to start it. We'll fill it up with young people with energy we bought that bus and I believe it was July or June or July of 1970 got on that bus and went out sharing Christ with everybody anybody who would listen in Tucson Arizona 75 people received Christ in the two weeks the team was there in Albuquerque several were saved in Austin, Texas, a few were saved, and in Houston, several were saved, and three churches got started that summer, and that was the beginning of the movement that we're part of together, the Great Commission Churches Movement, the Great Commission Global Fellowship, because it's worldwide now, and it all started because somebody had enough courage to buy a bus and recruit people and go do something. Now, we didn't have everything right. I'm sure we made a lot of mistakes, but it was just, come on, let's go. Let's go try something. Let's go do something. And uh, sorry for going backwards. Um, Jesus appointed 12. Why? Two reasons. First, so they would be with him. Second, so he would send them out to preach. And this was the model verse, one of the many verses that we based this effort this evangelistic effort on in those days it was just like come on let's go and reach the world we can reach the world Jesus Christ wants to reach the world let's not just talk about it let's not just sing songs about it let's get out the church doors and go try to do it and the Lord backed us up with his great mercy well notice the two principles here first is the with him principle Jim and Dennis and Bill and Jan and the others. I have a picture maybe. There we go. 
45 years ago. This was the team. That first bus died. So somebody gave us another bus. And we, this is back when Dennis Clark had brown hair. <laughs> He's, but I learned by being with, by being with these men and women, I learned and Christ transformed me because of their love and their faith. From Brother Jim, I learned courage and fearlessness and to try anything and everything to bring this gospel farther and faster. And I thank the Lord for him and for what God imparted to me through the with him principle. I got to live with him and with all of these folks. Uh, his brother Bill on the other uh, in the dark sweater, I learned... To love my disciples and love the word of God. He always had the pocket New Testament out sharing his quiet time verses. And he discipled so many men and still is to this day. And from Brother Dennis Clark in the, in the middle, uh, I learned love. I learned thankfulness. I learned to rejoice always no matter the trial or tribulation you're going through. I learned that if you share the gospel, a lot of your problems get solved because you're focusing on Jesus Christ and his gospel and so many other wonderful things. Why? Because I got to be with him. The impartation of that love and that joy and that peace, I got a I got a little of his DNA. I need more. Okay. But he got it from Dr. Bill Bright. Dr. Bill Bright got it from Jesus Christ. And we all get it from Jesus Christ. But my point is, these men discipled me and trained me. And I, my life was changed. Now, I know that officially women don't disciple men. But I want to give some credit to some of these sisters. Because Jan Dirksen Woods in the orange there... Oh my goodness, her love for her disciples, her passion for the word of God, her love for Jesus Christ, it got into me. From Thelma, Thelma Rhodes Clark, I learned to love the word of God, to memorize scripture, to talk scripture, to be devout and to stand up for what is right and many other things. And so this is impartation. And you don't get it from sitting in a class once a week. You don't get it from just going to church once a week. You get it from living together or at least living close to each other. You get it from hours of prayer together. You get it from going out and ministering together. That's what was going on 45 years ago. And that's why my life was changed. And that's why this Great Commission movement has spread and is still spreading. And I could talk for hours about those saints, but I don't have time. And um, I, might need, I might need help. So Luke 6, 40 says, everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. And so I want to give a little challenge to you today. Two challenges. First is, who are you receiving impartation from? Try to get closer to that person or those persons. Second, who are you imparting that DNA into? Not just through a once a week class. Classes are fine. But day by day by day, who are you pouring your life into? Round up somebody. Round up some folks. And there are hungry souls still. Okay? And let that love and that fire and that DNA you've got 
be imparted into them and you'll multiply yourself. So there won't be just one of you. There's two of you and then four of you and then eight of you. And that's how the world can be reached. Well, over those next 45 years, churches got started in these locations, actually many more locations, but these are the ones that Sue and I, my wife and I, got to be on teams or lead teams to launch Great Commission churches in these locations coast to coast. And I thank the Lord for what he did through those things. Well, for example, one church in Columbus, Ohio, Dennis Clark and I went in 73. We led the team of about 35 people to Ohio State University. Out of that one church came 50 more churches. And if you look at the chart, they're around the world. But the chart is too out of date because many more churches from every stream, there's more generations now. I was talking with some of the Great Commission leaders and they said that chart needs to be expanded and include what's going on now in China, what's going on in Philippines, many other places. So we thank the Lord for that church. Out of another church, I don't have a chart for us, the Ames, Iowa church. Out of that church came 50 more, probably more than 50 now, and still going and still growing. Rick Whitney just went to Stillwater, um, Oklahoma, maybe a year ago. But this spreading and spreading is part of our DNA. Uh, Honestly, I have to say that it has slowed down. We've slowed down a little and we can speed it back up. We must by releasing and empowering young people to go, go, go. Old people too. Okay, I'm 65. I'm young at heart. I'm willing to go, go, go. I bet you are too. And empty nesters are free to go and need to go as God leads them. But I want to focus on this biggest, darkest hole of lostness, ocean of lostness in the world, South Asia, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Nepal. This is where the gospel has not gotten hardly anywhere. There are Christians, yes, but the vast majority of people groups there have no clue who Jesus is. So a missionary read the Christmas story to a group of people in a village in North India. How long ago was this great day when God's son was born? One person asked. Oh, about 2,000 years ago, replied the missionary. Well, then why has this news been so long in reaching us? Asked the villager in surprise. Who has been hiding the book all this time? And so, brothers and sisters, with all the good that we're doing, we have to own... This reality that still the people Jesus died for don't even know it. And there's billions yet to be saved. And that's why there's an urgency. So Carl Henry said the gospel is only good news if it arrives in time. K.P. Johannan, who started Gospel for Asia, tells the story of he was evangelizing near the Ganges River, the holy Hindu river. And he came up to a young lady standing there crying by the riverside and told her the gospel. And she, in tears, she said, where were you a half an hour ago? Because my sick and diseased baby, I didn't know what to do. I felt there's no hope. I threw it in the holy river. I didn't know about Jesus. Where were you when I needed you? Well, there's a million other women who could tell a similar story, committing suicide, 
My wife just did a research project on the suicide, escalating suicide rate among women in Nepal and India who have no hope, no future, and they kill themselves. Where were you a half an hour ago? Where have the Christians been for 2,000 years, for goodness sake? And so we're crisscrossing America saying to Christians, thank you for all you're doing. God bless you for all you're doing. But is is there any chance you could do something for those who never heard? And usually the answer is, yeah, we can do something. Christ is asking us. The gospel is only good news if it arrives in time. Oswald Smith said we talk about the second coming. Half the world has never heard about the first. And the Lord doesn't want anyone to perish. Jesus is not saying, oh well, let them all go to hell, who cares? He's saying, gave my blood, gave my life, come on. And now there's enough manpower, enough money, enough technology This world can be reached. If Coca-Cola can reach it, if Michael Jackson can reach it, what on earth has happened to the church? And what has happened to the Great Commission movement? We're going too slow. I love the Great Commission movement. I am Great Commission. But I can say, we're going too slow. So I'm glad a team's going into Parker. God bless you. I hope you don't stop a Parker. I hope you'll keep moving moving, moving. Until the day we die, this is our mandate. You know old people can do a way lot more than you think you can. And I want to say young people can do a whole lot more than you think they can. And we have some stories. God wants everybody saved. Well, it was seven years ago I saw this map. Do you know what those red dots are? Every little red dot is an unreached, unengaged people group. A people group is an ethno-linguistic, massive group of people. They have the same ethnicity, same language. Unreached means unreached. Unengaged means there's not one Christian, there's not one missionary, there's not one agency. Nobody, nobody has engaged them with this gospel. Look at them. And the vast majority of unreached, unengaged people groups are in India and Nepal and especially North India and I saw this map and I said to my wife honey we got to go we got to go now we had all kinds of excuses we were already old we already had a bunch of kids and a bunch of grandkids and every other excuse but I said let's go and she said absolutely and we got on a plane we didn't know what to do but we just thought let's go try and I heard Jesus films work so we teamed up with the Jesus film team and showed in this particular village, a rag picker village. Here's the altar call. Look at these guys coming forward after first hearing the gospel. Look at them. They're broken, contrite, humble, ready to receive Christ as Savior. They did, and a church was started that weekend in that village. Well, there's 600,000 villages. So since then, we've gotten more evangelistic teams, more projectors. More motorbikes. So then I started training Christians. There are some Christians there. When they found out I could train, I I had endless invitations. Come to our place. Come to our place. And I was scheduled every day to come and train. And I would teach all day long. I would get up at 2 in the morning, get some coffee in me, get on the road. My van loaded with Bibles and training materials. Drive six hours over hellacious roads. Train all day. Drive to the next place. Train all day. I did it for two years. 
in those two year period, I had other trainers that I was raising money to support their training events. We paid for these. It was like $100 a day or so to uh, do this. And we trained 13,000 pastors and believers in basic things. How to share their testimony. How to share a pure gospel presentation. How to disciple a new believer. How to bring the gospel to a new village. How to start a new house church. And so in those two years, we trained 13,000. And I had a phone team that would call them a month after we trained them. And they would say, hello, this is Sonia. I work for Pastor Mike. He was in your village last month. Since he trained you, how many people have you shared the gospel with? And they would record every number. We have boxes and reams of, of the reports. How many people got saved? How many villages have you taken the gospel to? Etc., etc. And we discovered, based on the phone surveys, that these 13,000 we trained were on track to reach 1 million people with the gospel in the year 2012. And I haven't done the research and, uh, for the phone teams it would take to, to keep tracking and following, but it appears that they were on track to reach 1 million a year, 2012, 2013, 2014, etc. But let me ask you a question. At a million a year, if you reach a million Indians per year, how many years will it take to reach a billion lost Indians who never heard? How many years? A thousand years. A thousand years? Are we going to have to wait a thousand years? No, we can't. It's not acceptable. Any of these people, they couldn't read or write. I said, well, just draw the pictures and tell the stories. I would give them all a pen and a paper. And then I would have them practice. And somebody from the crowd would come up and practice drawing out this bridge diagram. Notice there's no words on it. They can't read words. Can't write words. So we made pictures to tell the story. And they would go back to their village armed and dangerous. Ready to share this gospel. And many of them did. And before I forget, if you want to get a monthly email update on what we're doing, what God is doing. Sue is handing, thank you. Sue is handing out a clipboard right now. We need your email address so we can get you on that list. Just write it real plainly so my old eyes can read it. And about once a month you'll get pictures and stories about what God is doing. So you'll know how to pray so that you can help through your prayers. Because I know not everybody can jump on a plane and go to Kathmandu tomorrow. But everybody can pray, right? And your prayers are the biggest way to help us. Okay. After doing all this training, I was ordered into the police station and they said, go out. I said, why? They said, missionary activity. And I said, what? Because <laughs> I didn't think they knew, but if they only knew, we were lighting that part of the world on fire along the border of Pakistan in that, at that time. But they ordered me out. I had to go out. I was blacklisted. I couldn't get back in the normal way. But I found a back route and I came back in anyway. Now why? Because they have their law, but God has a higher law. And I believe it's true many times. Countries will have their laws and God has a higher law. Let me tell you, without taking time this morning, the gay marriage laws. I think God has a higher law. And I think that we, Christians, are going to have to stand with God in spite of what the government says sometimes, okay? So this particular mandate to reach the world with the gospel is, is way up on the, God's laws. And I just felt like 
I have to go. I'm going back in. And I found a legal, it was legal, but I found a legal way through a back uh, border crossing where there's no computer. So my name wouldn't come up in the blacklist. <laughs> so I had a visa and all that. And I came back. I went back in because I realized I've got to train I had to face the urgent need to multiply fruitful workers and leaders quickly so that in case something happens to me, the gospel will keep spreading. And so I went back in. Well, Paul told the Corinthian church, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Well, you can't imitate somebody if you can't be with them. You got to have enough time with them to see how do they act. How do they respond to crisis and difficulty and hardship? And so I wanted to invest more time into certain individuals. Paul also said to the Philippian church, keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. I wanted to have Indian men with me day and night to see me how I respond, how I react, how I minister, to try to impart and to, so there's not just one might cater, but two and then four and then eight and so forth. I wanted to multiply by imparting that DNA and Sue was doing the same thing. So I would go out in the streets and take my Timothy's disciples with me and I would preach the gospel like this. Crowds gather all the time and then I would say, okay, your turn, you do it. And hours every morning and hours every night, I was training men to take over. Because I didn't know how long I can stay before I get thrown out again. So here's Brother Thomas Massey, who now is leading our India teams. But I was hours every morning, hours every night, training, training, training. And this is the only way. Brothers and sisters, you can't say you've discipled somebody until you've taken them out sharing the gospel. If you don't take them sharing the gospel, you're leaving a great big chunk out of the discipling process and they will never become world revolutionary multipliers. So each of these people I trained lead training groups like this. Here Moses is leading this training group, training them, pouring his life into them. And then I got put in jail. And I was in jail two months. The devil doesn't want India to get saved. Hinduism has controlled India for thousands of years. And the devil will not give it up easily. And we're not going to reach that part of the world without being willing to suffer. Now, frankly, I didn't suffer that much. Yes, I had to lie on a concrete floor with, there were some blankets on the floor full of bugs. They would suck your blood out. You had to take your clothes off in the day and kill the bugs that have gotten in the seams of your clothes. I was uh, 14 of us in a cell that was about the size of the stage. 14 men. When we slept, our, there wasn't enough room to stretch out. Our legs overlapped. And so try not to kick these radicals in the night. And um, we, they basically fed us twice a day a lot of starch. But I had a friend who would bring vegetables and fruit. And, uh, but I got to witness to all the prisoners, almost all. And almost all the guards, one of my guards, I I was in the back of a truck, handcuffed to to a guard, headed to court. I said, hey, what's your name? He said, Saddam. I said, oh, what's your last name? He said, Hussein. 
And I said, have you heard about Jesus? He said, yeah, he's a prophet. I said, yeah, he's more than a prophet. Here's the gospel of John. And I got to witness to Saddam Hussein a few times. <laughs> okay. And uh, other guards. And my judge, the chief magistrate, we went out in the court, uh, courthouse lawn. And face to face, I got to share Christ with him. And give him a picture Bible for his children. And so I thank the Lord for those times there in the jail. Um, But it was mild compared to what so many others have suffered. This Vietnamese pastor said this. We have learned that suffering is not the worst thing in the world. Disobedience to God is the worst. We don't want to stand before Christ having been disobedient to the Great Commission. This Pastor Richard Wormbrand. You've probably heard of him. He was in a Polish sorry, Romanian communist prison for years and they beat him. And if he was speaking this morning, he'd pull his shirt up and show the scars in his body. But he suffered so much for Christ. But he, he wrote this. He said, in that communist prison, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us Christians decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. And so we accepted the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. (laughs) We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. We were all happy. (laughs) Everybody's happy. But he lived through it and got to tell his story. When many came to Christ through him, my suffering was very mild compared to that. Anyway, I was deported, blacklisted, and I can't go back to India to the people I love. So I went next door. I live 15 minutes from the border on the Nepal side. And from our border house, we're able to bring Indians over and train them. We're able to bring Nepalese down from the mountains and train them. We rented this house for $480 a month and filled it up with people, trainees. Here's some of them. Wonderful people that have fire in their heart. We should call it firehouse, I think. (laughs) They loved the Lord and they loved the gospel. Now, they weren't evangelists before we got a hold of them. But by the grace of God, we were able to impart that DNA, that DNA that Dennis Clark and Jim McCarter and so many others imparted to us so many years ago. Jesus is still reaching the world. Jesus won't stop reaching the world. Jesus is still looking for good men and women who will say, yes, I will go. And so these people, I wish I had an hour to tell you their story. Each one of them, marvelous testimony, serious evangelists, church planters. They get on their motorbikes, their bicycles, their scooters, and they go out. And often those Hindus are shouting at them, threatening them. And then come up here, Susie, and I want to... Can we get a live mic for Sue? That okay? Good. I want to tell you, Sue's going to tell you what she's doing with the girls, the sisters. This is Jyoti, and we met Jyoti about a year and a half ago. She speaks English very, very well, so she became one of my translators. And um, there is an advantage to not speaking Nepali, and it's that you have to have somebody by your side who is your mouthpiece day and night. And so she was one of the girls that I had with me, and I love the with me principle because Jyoti and I were able to witness together, disciple together, train together. In the next slide, you see her on a bus, and she has just become courageous, articulate, 
And when she gets on a bus, she positions herself at the very front, if she can, facing uh, everyone else in the bus. And she will just start sharing the gospel. She's not afraid. And sometimes, because they blast their music on these buses, she'll just ask the bus driver, can you please turn that down? Because I want people to hear what I have to say. And they listen. She's been marvelous. Um, Jyoti then took this young gal named Jenny. Now, we've known Jenny for about a year. She was Hindu, has accepted Christ, and has moved into our team house. Jyoti just... uh, what imparted all of her DNA into Jenny. Jenny is another Jyoti. She gets out there, she witnesses, she loves the Lord. Jenny has become our leading sister in Dangati now, in our Dangati house while we're gone. Jenny, in turn, in this slide, just grabs anybody she can here. This was a very informal setting. There is a training room in our team house in Dongati. And some girls were there, and there's Jenny. She gets out the big cube. She's training them how to share their faith in Christ. In this next slide, Janaki in the green on the right <clears throat> was a young gal that we met, and she had not known the Lord a very long time. Well, Jenny took her under her wing. And so they lived together, cooked together, did everything together. And Jenny took her out day after day after day, teaching her how to witness, how to disciple. Uh, Janaki was quite fearful. But one day we got a, a message from Jenny saying, Janaki came back today. She's lost her fear. She has no more fear of sharing. She had witnessed that day to five businessmen, and somehow in that process, her fear just went out the window. So she's quite excited. The thing about these girls that I want to emphasize is just this multiplication principle that it doesn't take a lot of time. As you pour your life into one, they are pouring their life into the next one. And we have about four generations of girls now that are really catching this fire and becoming effective in training. This was another translator that I had. This is um, Shreya. Shreya speaks excellent English. And so I was one that was helping disciple her, taking her out over and over, uh, witnessing with her. And then she, there was actually an American team that came over and a sister in the Lord named Sarah went out with uh, Shreya. Shreya was her translator. Together, they led three gals to the Lord one day. And in this next slide, you see uh, Sadiksha was one of those girls, a young 16-year-old Hindu convert to Christianity. So Shreya began pouring her life into Sadiksha. Sadiksha's friend in this next slide... Uh, Sandhya, there in the middle, was her best friend. They both accepted Christ the same day. But Sandhya was really lagging behind in her excitement for the Lord. Uh, Sadiksha moved into the team house where she's living in this culture of evangelism and discipling and training. So even though Sandhya had come to the Lord, she really wasn't growing that much. And so now, Sadiksha's trying to pour more into Sandhya's life, and we hope that Sandhya herself can move into the team house and be a part of this culture because it is 
life-transforming. And um, so this is just that principle of multiplication, the within principle, discipling that we've found to be very effective. Thank you, Sue. So... So, so a year ago, all these young men wanted to come to Christ. And my partner in the green said, okay, kneel down. We're going to pray the sinner's prayer. And they all did that. And Brother Man Bahadur, who's on the right, on the front row, far right, he also received Christ. Well, Brother Man, when he was five years old, he ran out in the street and he got hit by an army truck, a Nepal army truck. And it crushed his arm and he lost his arm. So he's a one-armed man now. And after he came to Christ, I thought, he has no education. He only has one arm. How can he survive? How can he make it? I said, brother, just move in the team house. Let our brothers train you. And brother Man Bahadur now is leading people to Christ and baptizing them. And has a bright future in the kingdom of God. And we thank the Lord for him. The point is that we can multiply workers rapidly and young people can do more than you think they can. So now we've opened another team house in Don Gotti. This one has uh, six, uh, nine, nine bedrooms, five bathrooms, one outhouse, three kitchens, and room for you to come. And, <laughs> and we have a lot of Americans who do come from a lot of Great Commission churches and other churches. And they'll come for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and just run around with our Nepali uh, bilingual uh, team members and do a whole lot of good. And the thing about a person from America, you always draw a crowd. And if you come, you don't have to be a good evangelist. You even don't know what, don't have to know much about what to say. Just stand up and open your mouth and let the Holy Spirit fill it. It is helpful if you get, uh, if you come well prepared and you know your testimony, you know the gospel. But we invite you to come. We have lots of teams coming. You can join one of them or form a team from your region or something like that. And I promise you this, you will come back to America a changed person. You'll come back to your church as a greater asset to your church than when you left. Full of vision and fire and faith and all that fear and apprehension will be out the window and God will use you here in Denver, Colorado when you come back. So I encourage you to come over. It doesn't cost that much. A total trip, even with the airfares, roughly about $2,000 for two weeks, something like that. But if you can break free for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, we invite you to come, okay? We take you to safe places where you can do effective ministry. And you're all invited. This is part of the Nepal team that now has scattered to several different locations. Uh, this team of girls went up to a mountain area and witnessed to more than 500 people each that week. And um, so we have now church planning teams in these five locations in Nepal And we have church planning teams in these three locations in India. And we're spreading out to just start more churches. This is uh, our India team. Each of these people lead about 10 training groups per week. And they each share the gospel with about 100 to 200 people every week. And so our Nepal and India teams together now are reaching over 6,000 people a week with the gospel. Here's Rina, a new trainee. Um, she's, we take them out and we say, okay, share Christ. And they gather people and share Christ like this and like this. Well, what's happening right now as we speak is that the Hindu versus the Christian war for souls has intensified. And in this last week, 
um, the radical Hindus have been trying to get the government officials to write anti-conversion laws into the Constitution and, and to write stiff penalties for converting people into the penal code. And so we need your prayers because our teams are facing the possibility of jail time for converting people or worse. And, and so lately our teams going out sharing have been being shouted at and threatened by Hindus. And so they're having to go further and further out from the main streets to get out to the villages where the radicals are not. So this philosophy being perpetrated is called Hindutva. Hindutva is an ideology seeking to establish the hegemony of Hinduism over all the other religions. And they want to keep Hinduism in control and keep these people enslaved to demons like this. Behind every idol is a demon. I've seen people who worshiped Kali. This is Kali. And pretty soon they're sticking their tongue out and thrashing around on the floor, demonized by the demons of Kali. And only Jesus Christ can set them free. And through prayer, they get set free. Hindus in the state of Orissa murdered this boy's parents, murdered many people in Orissa. But we are now training others from Orissa to go back into Orissa with the gospel. And this young man said, I want to go right back where my parents were killed and preach the gospel. And that's the courage that God is putting in their hearts. About a year ago, this man was elected as the prime minister of India. He's a radical Hindu, Narendra Modi. And he is causing churches, I can't say it that way, Since he's been elected, many churches have been burnt down. Many pastors have been beaten. Many Christians are suffering. And we just need to pray because God is greater. But he has the intention to keep India Hindu and keep Nepal Hindu. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds like Hinduism. Casting down the arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing every Hindu thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. Jesus created India. Jesus created the Indians for salvation, not for damnation. And it's up to us to bring this gospel to them. Jesus was slain 2,000 years ago, and he purchased for God with his blood people from every little red dot. And John saw a vision of heaven. What will it be like on that awesome day when Jesus comes back? And what he saw is written in Revelation 7, 9. A great multitude which no one could count from every little red dot. Somebody, some people from every ethno-linguistic people group will be saved. Will be standing there before the throne of God when artists depicted like this standing with their white robes the righteousness of Christ palm branches symbol of worship and look at their faces every color every caste every tribe every race every language this is how it's going to end up you're on the winning team we are winners we will win because Jesus will win we're going to win And so don't give up and don't slow down and don't get intimidated. Don't listen to those lies from Satan when he tells you everybody's already heard and nobody wants to listen. It's the opposite. Most haven't heard and most are willing to listen. 
even in Denver, Colorado, even in Nepal, even in India. Yeah, a few, a few shout at us, a few curse at us, a few want to hurt us. But this gospel will win. We will win. But we can speed it up. And I want to show you, if you want to help, here's how you can help speed it up. Help by praying. Give us your email address. You'll get a monthly update. So you can pray, pray, pray. And prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Your prayers are the most important way that you can help us. Second is help by coming over. Find a couple of weeks. Find a summer. Find a Christmas break, a spring break. And, and just come on over. And you can see the Taj Mahal while you're at it. You can climb Mount Everest while you're at it. <laughs> Evangelize for a week. Climb the mountains for a week. Whatever. It's up to you. Um, but just try it. When I first thought about going, I was told by a, 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 someone, don't even think about it. It's impossible. You'll die over there. Here I am alive. <laughs> Nobody ever shot me. Nobody ever knifed me. Nobody ever threw a rock at me. We're preaching to thousands all the time. Yeah, there are some places you could get hurt there. We don't send Americans to those places. We invite you to come to the safe places. We depend on the nationals to guide us in that. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, you have to die somehow. Cancer, heart attack, stroke. Come on. <laughs> Let's die for Jesus Christ. Amen. And you probably won't die anyway. You're probably going to get raptured straight up into heaven, right? While you're preaching to a big crowd of Muslims or something. So help by coming over. And if you can't come, help by giving. Those people that we hire, we have 44 full-time evangelist church planters. It costs $200 a month. They get about $50 in their hand. They get room and board and a scooter and petrol, gasoline. $200 a month to put a full-time who will work 12 hours a day, six days a week, spreading the gospel to places that I can't go and you can't go. And our hope is that we can have 100 full-time workers by next summer. So if you can give a little bit, it goes a long way. One brother said it's an excellent investment. I say it's the best investment of American dollar that I can speak of. And right now, because of the exchange rate, your dollar goes even further. One dollar is about 65 Indian rupees, and we can do a whole lot for that. So... Give what you can. If you could give $30 a month, it would go a whole long ways, and we invite you to do that. So the way to do that, you can give cash, you can write a check to Run Global, member ministry of Great Commission Churches. You can go online to runglobal.org, and you can designate your gift as you wish. So that's it. Rich, thank you so much for letting me come, and thanks to all of you. Don't forget about our book table. If you want to buy a book about this mission work, not buy it just give it a little donation we'll be happy with that okay and if you want to if you'd like if you have questions maybe i've raised questions sue and i'll be hanging around here after and we'll just be happy to take your questions at that time okay thank you